always special to come back to Grace Church of Orange. Yes, this is where I met my wife 25 years ago. Uh, we had an Operation Barnabas High School ministry team here on a Sunday night, and Ed Lewis, my boss, was actually up front introducing the leaders. I was running the soundboard back over there, and uh, I just stood awkwardly, I guess, and waved when he did that. And then Dana said those three magic words the first time she saw me. She said them to Julie Krebs, Julie Murillo, and she said, what a dork. Um, <laughs> And now we've been married for over 23 years. Grateful, in fact. Uh, yeah, that, that's us leaving here when the old pews and all that kind of stuff got married here. Uh, we then attended church here from um, beginning to middle 90s before going back to Indiana to work at CE National. Becca was born here. Becca will be 21 next month. And uh, that picture right there, she actually was in the hospital last week and she's just moved to Ohio, graduated from college, and is running the children's ministry at a church plant and then being a nanny. Uh, ran into some problems. They were thinking appendix, all that, but she's doing much better. But no, that is not her baby. That is a good friend of ours. In fact, some of our OB leaders, one of the cutest kids we've ever seen. And we just thought that was a, a cute picture. Uh, never thought that Becca would be living in Ohio. Thought she'd be moving to California. So the next slide there, that's her new Ohio driver's license. How weird is that? Okay. Um, but she's uh, going to be leading an Operation Barnabas team again this summer. Did so last year. And we're very proud of her. And uh, she loves Jesus and making a difference in people's lives. Uh, Nick is our 17-year-old. He went on Operation Barnabas this last summer. Um, Becca took a picture of him when he was a little kid, just on a whim, sent it to Jones Soda, and they made him the poster boy uh, for the sugar plum soda right there. And uh, we just do this to mock him. It really is true. Um, but uh, he's been able to do an internship at, uh, at a local hospital and thinks he wants to be a doctor, a surgeon, but he loves Jesus and we're very proud of him as well. Uh, he just has a quirky sense of humor, so he made all of us do this and we then took this picture and so that's Dana's folks and I don't know, we don't all wear glasses, but we thought, he thought that'd be funny. The picture we usually use for our family is this one, um, even though our kids uh, go, we don't look like that anymore, I usually say, I don't care because I'm thinner in that picture and I have more hair. So that's the one we're going to keep using as long as we can. Very grateful to this church uh, who helps support us financially, prayerfully. Um, it's been since 1995 that we've moved back to Indiana. Um, started as the idea of running these Operation Barnabas high school ministry training programs that numbers of your students have been involved with uh, as students and even adult leaders. And we've added the international team and we're adding city life teams, which are 15 day. And so we'll have about 125 that go out from anywhere from 15 days to three and a half weeks to seven weeks and learning how to share their faith and what it means to be uh, somebody involved in ministry and serving Jesus by serving other people. I also get to do some things of leading the youth ministry major at Grace College because they're right next door and that's the connection between CE National and, and Grace College. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about a lot of those things at 6 o'clock. Uh, if you're available, we'd love to have you come. Uh, there'll be folks from other churches, and we'll be sharing stories and what God's doing. Um, if you've not met my boss, my friend, uh, Ed Lewis, I'll introduce you to him. He is a quiet, unassuming man who probably, now if you know him, Ed is anything but that, loves Jesus passionately, and uh, I would say just come if for no other reason other than just to meet Ed, who's on fire for Jesus. I can't help but, uh, when I come to Grace Church of Orange, think about the impact that this church has had upon so many people, but especially upon my wife, Dana. Dana was a good girl who lived on the other side of the freeway. Her family's house backed up to Temple Beth Shalom right over here. But it's because of a gal that came to this church 
they went to junior high together, she invited her to go to this summer camp with her for a week in the summertime. And Dana had always heard about Jesus, believed in God, but there was no personal relationship with him. And at the camp, she heard very clearly that it's not your goodness that gets you into heaven. It's not your goodness that establishes a personal relationship with Jesus. And it was at that camp that she made a decision that she was going to entrust her life to Jesus Christ, trust his righteousness, and follow him. When she got back, uh, there were some other gals that made some decisions um, that they wanted to follow Jesus. And so right in this baptismal pool, there were four junior high girls, I understand, one standing in each corner. And I guess all of them got the giggles. And the pastor said, afterwards, I will never do that again. I will never have that many junior high girls. But Dana still looks back on that and says, that was a seminal moment where she got to outwardly declare that she was a personal follower of Jesus Christ. It's because of the impact of this church. After that, she got involved in the youth ministry here. And uh, specifically, she was mentored, discipled by godly, mature women from this church. Um, Melody Manthorn was one that poured into my wife's life. Every time that I see Mello, every time I see Melody and I see Dana see each other, it usually something like this phrase comes out, how's my girl? It's not just that they did Bible studies together, although that's a piece of it and the idea of a mentoring process, but it's that she poured herself into my wife. She lived life with her, talking about life, family, goals, scripture. How does all that balance out? And there will always be a special relationship there. A lady was here by the name of Barbara Carades who poured into Dana's life. We were cleaning out the basement not that long ago, and uh, I came across a stack of books, two seven books. It's a devotional training materials kind of stuff, good things. And I'm about ready to pitch these things. Nancy goes, do not throw those things out. Those two seven books are what Nancy Lordson used to mentor and disciple me. So here she is, 46, 47 years of age, saying, do not touch that. That was meant to be an impact in my life 25, 30 years ago, and it still has significance to this day. Dana's always been involved in children's ministries and youth ministries. And how did that begin? It started when Cindy Holbrook took her under her wing and showed her what it meant to be a loving woman when it comes to small children because they have value in the sight of God. She learned that from a godly, mature lady. Cindy Byers was the pastor's wife at the time. And it was that kind of end of high school and college time. Do I stay? Do I go to another church? What do I do? And Cindy's words were, I really think what you should do is you should obey God, serve God here. And at the right time when you're ready, I really think that God's going to bring someone into your path right here that will be your spouse. Now, some of you are looking at going, probably shouldn't have followed Cindy's advice if she got stuck with you. Okay, I understand that. But the reality is there's a woman who lived life and walked right alongside her and spoken to her life. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Because of that pouring in of other people's lives to Dana, Dana has led more Operation Barnabas high school tours than any other woman in the history of the 40-year program. Uh, She has slept on the floor. If you add up all the tours she's been in, she's slept on church floors for a year and a half. The longer she serves and does those things, the bigger her mattress pad gets that, that she uses. Still does that. She is actively involved in mentoring high school girls, young women, college women, and has even started getting involved with me with some premarital counseling. She also is involved with running 
Probably one of the biggest things our church does is a women's retreat, and she's been running that for years now. And adding to that list is there are people now asking Dana to come speak to their women's group, and that's kind of ironic because if you know my wife, the last thing she wants to do is stand up in front of a group of people, but God's given her these opportunities. After the last one she just had in the Columbus, Ohio area, they asked if she would write an article about that, so she did. And then she submitted, and just as she's submitting it, she hit spell check through the Word document. And one of the things explained about her life was that she said she really enjoys, one of her her enjoyable things in life is being able to disciple young college women. But when she hit spell check, that Word document does not understand disciple, and it changed it to Dana enjoys disciplining college women. So I'm not sure what that means, but we might. I said, Dana, can I have that magazine? She goes, no, you're just going to make fun of me. I'm like, well, yeah, but at least I'd have a prop to show them it's really in there. It all started because of this church, specifically because of godly women. But this shouldn't surprise me because mentoring is this, is what you are is what you produce. And I'm grateful to this church, and I'm grateful to those women who've poured into my wife's life. When Pastor Mike called a little bit ago, he asked if I'd be willing to share on this concept of mentoring. And I said I'd be happy to. And it took me back immediately to my junior and senior year of high schools where Ken and Gil, they're older guys just done with college. They believed the Lord was calling them to ministry, full-time ministry. And it reminded me of the amount of time that they spent with me as well as with some other guys. And we would spend time at their apartment. We'd play basketball together. We'd go swimming. They would meet with us. Next Saturday night, I get to have dinner with Dennis Henry. Uh, Dennis has had a tough bout and tough round with cancer stuff, but he's doing really well. But he's been a pastor, a church leader, and now he's teaching a Christian school. Uh, Those guys had a major impact on Dennis's life. I think about my friend Dan. Dan's up in Northern California. His daughter just graduated from Master's College. Um, He is a godly guy leading a godly family and a leader in his local church. Next Sunday morning, before I speak... I was going to say in Whittier, California. You know where Whittier is, okay? Uh, Before I speak up there, I'm going to get to have breakfast with Jim Adams and his wife. Uh, Jim did not go into full-time vocational ministry. He's a butcher. Uh, He's a meat cutter, and they have just moved him to a new store because they use him wherever there's problems. And then I saw this on Facebook. Some gal named Valerie said, Jim is too good is the problem. And then she said, he is one of the finest men that I've ever worked with. His Christian character shows wherever he goes. He's been actively involved in in Bible study fellowship, and his daughter is now serving as a missionary in the country of India. See, Gen and Gil, they spent their lives with us. They talked about family. They talked about work. They talked about job. They talked about scripture. They talked about serving. It wasn't just a Bible study. It's that they lived their life with us and poured themselves into us. As I got a little bit older, I had the decision, do I leave 10 years of high school teaching and administration, and do I move with my family and take Becca and Dana 2,200 miles away? But one of the main reasons I agreed to do that is because I knew that I'd be personally mentored by Ed Lewis. It was a reason that I said, yeah, we'll move to Winona Lake, Indiana, where the windshield today, I think, is minus five. (laughs) Because of the positive impact upon my life, I want to be involved with, with guys right now. And so I, I'm getting to work with Joey and Patrick and Jake. And a couple of those guys will be Barnabas leaders this summer. One's going to be going to the Urban Hope Training Center in Philadelphia. But I look back on the 19 years we've been in Winona Lake, and I think some of the most important times I ever spent were with Mark and with Doug and with Tony. 
Um, all three of them are now pastors. We didn't know that that's the direction God is necessarily calling them. Uh, but one is an executive pastor who's kind of held his church together through some challenging times, and people are getting saved, and it's growing. One is a church planner where, that's the one where Becca is right now in the Columbus, Ohio area, and the other is now a lead pastor faithfully teaching God's word. I remember talking with Tony, and after I heard him preach probably one of his first sermons, this is what he says. He says, you came up to me and said, did you ever think that God could be calling you into full-time vocation work to be a pastor, to be a minister, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did you ever think about that? He remembers that, but there are two things. One, I don't remember that conversation at all. And before you think, well, you're kind of bragging about that, here's what I think about when I remember that story that Tony said to me. It's not that, wow, I asked the question, this is the problem I come up with. How many people have I worked with where I miss the opportunity to speak into their lives? And I don't want to miss those. I don't want to miss those. Well, as you hear just a little bit about Dana, you hear about my story and how we're trying to do those things and how people have poured into us, um, maybe you're starting to think about your own story. Uh, Maybe you're starting to think, oh, I can relate to that because, and there's a person you are thinking of or maybe a few people that poured into your life. Uh, Some of you might be thinking, I've missed out on that. I've not had that. But there's good news. It's not too late. Um, I was just looking around on the internet, and here's one reason, and let this be an encouragement to you. If you haven't had a mentor, keep calm and find a mentor. It's okay, all right? When Mike called, um, I was meeting with Patrick. And uh, Patrick's dad is a believer, but has never really known how to pour into his life. And he's really not been mentored in that way. And so we've been meeting. And so Mike calls right where we were talking. And, and as I hang up with Mike, Patrick says to me, he goes, that's really neat. You get to study on this and share with that. And, and he goes, but, you know, do remember that the world also does mentoring, does discipling, if you will. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, the first thing that comes to my mind, he said, is how Usher discovered Justin Bieber. And uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Justin Bieber, okay, this morning. I don't know how proud Usher is right now of Justin. I don't know. But here's a man who discovered him and then worked with him. And uh, he said, just remember, the world does this as well. And uh, I thought about that a little bit more. And uh, it's funny because you can have bad mentors. You can have all kinds. In fact, I found these things uh, just goofing around. It says, you know you have a bad mentor? When your mentor tells you that he's been kicked off the Jerry Springer show, that was one thing that's a bad, a bad mentor. Another bad mentor is when his main skill is keeping it real, yo. That's a bad mentor. Okay? And then the other one, you know I have a bad mentor that after spending time together, he asks you to sign his community service form. That, that's a, a bad mentor. And when we think about the world and we think about mentoring, um, I mean, I did a little study of the history of that. It's kind of familiar to us because in the 1970s, and even till current, business has taken this on as a model where business leaders then, then will, will mentor someone. And uh, it even goes back as far as Greek mythology of the man uh, named Mentor, uh, that when Odysseus left for the Trojan War, he left him in charge of his son and his palace. Um, and really what a mentor is, as we go through all that, it comes down to this. A mentor is someone who imparts wisdom and shares knowledge with a less experienced colleague. It is not the idea that it's mutual accountability kind of stuff, but it's more that one person has more experience and is willing to pour their life experience and understanding into the life of another. I think Scripture talks very specifically about this, and we're going to look at one example of mentoring that is in the, in the Bible. And, and Pastor Doug, I think you're going to come and read for us 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And could we invite you to stand in reverence to the Word of God? And we'll look at just a couple concepts about what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus, to then be a mentor. And then what's the goal as you look at being a mentee? 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at this passage of Scripture, it's obviously the Apostle Paul, the mature believer who is writing to young Timothy. And as I look at this description, the very first thing I notice from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, is the words that he uses to describe, to describe Timothy. He calls him his, his son, my son. Uh, it's not just a business relationship. It's not that we've just done a study or a Bible study kind of thing. His son is a personal relationship. If you go back to chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, if you look there in verse 2, it describes him there as, to Timothy, my dear son. Uh, you go down just a little bit farther, and in verse 4, Paul remembers Timothy and P- Timothy's tears because of a, a mutual desire to see each other. It is a close, tight, meaningful relationship. It's not merely information. It's about the sharing of life one with each other. The other thing that's of interest as you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, it goes on and it's not just the idea of the Apostle Paul pouring into young Timothy, but it's with the purpose of entrusting these things to Timothy so that he can relay them on to other people. Now, I wish I could stand before you and say, um, this passage is all about pastors, and so we're kind of off the hook. Uh, Some of the study that I did, Pastor Ray Stebman wrote some extensive things on this passage, and he said, absolutely not. This passage is not really only just for pastors. It is very much for all believers, all people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. He then goes on in these next verses to give three specific pictures of what it means to be this follower of Jesus Christ, this mature person. The idea of the mentor being these things and the mentee becoming these things. Let's take a look at a couple of these ideas. The first one that's described there is that it's described as a soldier, a soldier. The idea behind this is that a mature follower of Jesus has the dedication of a soldier. It's, if you look in the passage, the words that a soldier like this endures hardship. Tough times come. Difficulties come. Just as an aside, I, I've heard this a number of times, and it's not biblical at all. I've heard people, and I've seen it posted on things, on Facebook, etc. People will say, God will not give you more than you can handle. That is not a biblical concept. That is not from the scriptures. Now, the Lord promises that no temptation is going to come to you more than you can handle. That's true. But this idea is God does allow hard things to come so that we are driven right back to him. Enduring hardship is something that every true follower of Jesus Christ will need to do. 
that verse that talks about this idea of being a soldier, enduring hardship, it's the idea of, of not getting involved in civilian affairs. It's specifically talking about that money or financial gain or comfort is not what the soldier who is dedicated is all about. But as you go on there, you'll see the phrase, he is, his main goal is to please his commanding officer. As a follower of Jesus Christ, our goal is to follow Jesus and all he says and all he does and not get waylaid by the things that would take us away from him. So the first picture is one of an enduring soldier. The next one is this, is that of an athlete. And while a soldier would be one of dedication, a picture of dedication, the athlete is a description and the idea of, of, of discipline. Um, obviously, as you're talking about someone who partakes in athletics, uh, they're working on skills, they watch what they eat, they train, they rest well. Uh, but the description here is a little bit more broad uh, in that context back in the day, they would have understood that it wasn't just about the physical stuff of being an athlete. There was also having a lot to do with a person's character. They trained for 10 months before they could participate. They had to actually be a citizen of the state. They had to have certain things that were true of their character. So as we look at this idea of a picture of a person who has discipline of an athlete, it's not so much discipline with the physical as much it is about the character of their being. I think that speaks as well into someone who's wanting to be more of a follower of Jesus Christ. The question that is begged then of you and the question that's begged of me is, how are we doing when it comes to our character? Is it becoming more and more like Jesus? So a soldier, an athlete, the last one is this, is of a hardworking farmer. Now, having moved to the Midwest 19 years ago, I've gotten to travel in the Midwest and the East a lot more than I even do the West anymore. I have gotten to live and stay with people who are farmers. Uh, just about six weeks ago, I was in Martinsburg, Pennsylvania, the cove there, and I stayed with a dairy farmer. Um, did you know that they're up at like 4 a.m. every day? I didn't even know there were two 4 a.m., four, four o'clocks on a clock. I didn't even realize. These guys are hard working, and they milk these cows at four in the morning and four in the afternoon. And just hearing the description and watching what they do, diligent, hardworking people, hardworking. That idea then of a dedication of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, it's the diligence of a farmer. Some interesting things about soldier, athlete, farmer. A soldier can be just about anyone. My dad was uh, in World War II, and it's kind of ironic because my dad could do nothing mechanical. Horrible example for me as far as what it meant to do anything uh, mechanically. But his job in World War II was that he repaired searchlights in England. Kind of ironic how that all fit together. But the reason it worked is because they trained him how to do that one specific job. See, the idea of someone that is a soldier is that the main thing is that they can be trained. Here's the next idea, the idea of an athlete. It's a little bit different that there are certain body types that are probably going to fit certain things. You can take someone who's probably a pretty big person and try and make them a good sprinter, but you're not going to have as, as much success just because of gifting, physical size, etc. Et so there are certain duties and callings and purposes specific to an individual that God has given. The last one is that of the farmer. It's the least dependent on skill. Oh, it's hard work and it involves sowing and involves watering. But what the farmer understands is that it has to be about God giving the increase. God wants us to operate in all three of these areas and there are times that we are to be soldiers just forging ahead, purposeful. This is the goal. This is what we're after. 
Other times, it's supposed to be like an athlete understanding our gifts, understanding our abilities, how God has wired us, and working in those realms. The final area is that of the farmer, and the idea there of we sow, we water, but it is obviously God who has to give the increase. It's about being dedicated, disciplined, and diligent. So what does that look like in regular, ordinary life? Um, have an OB alum friend who uh, is now a pastor on staff in Maryland, and he just posted this this week on his Facebook page. Ricky is a man that one of our members at our church met at the Frederick Rescue Mission. Ricky was homeless, and one of our members, Eric, took Ricky in and had him over to his house several times for dinner. They started picking Ricky up for church, and a couple months ago, Eric baptized Ricky as a follower of Jesus at our church. Ricky's been attending faithfully and is a valued part, a valued part of our body. On Saturday, Ricky was rushed to the ER with significant health issues that placed him in the ICU. Ricky's family's out of the picture, but Eric was right there with them. Eric slept overnight at the ICU to be by Ricky's side. Today, I learned something new about making disciples of Jesus. That following Jesus sometimes means sitting in the ICU hospital bed next to a homeless man to share the love of Jesus. It means sleepless nights and prayers upon prayers. And I'm telling you, this incredible act of kindness was not done by someone who's paid to be a pastor, but was done by a regular church member, someone who realized it was their life's calling to be a sold-out Christ follower. Well, what does all this have to do with you? What's it have to do with me? Can, can we ask ourselves some questions? Maybe here are a few to consider. Have I been spiritually mentored? If you haven't, here's a good rule of thumb. Pick someone that you want to be like spiritually when you were their age. Have I mentored anyone yet? Am I mentoring anyone currently? If I'm not, what's holding me back from mentoring someone? Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That can change today. He wants you to be a follower of him and for him to be able to have a personal relationship with you. Maybe there's habitual sin that's holding you back. Well, in that case, you need to be mentored. But even while you're being mentored, you can pour into the life of somebody else. Am I willing to mentor someone else now? Usually, men with men, women with women, sometimes couples with couples. There's usually an age difference because it's the idea of maturity. It's the idea of being, character, pouring one into the other. And something that's usually helpful is if it's for a defined period of time. Howard Hendricks, who was at Dallas Theological Seminary, had this phrase attributed to him. You can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact people from close up. What would happen if a local body of believers, a local church, lived with everyone being involved in the mentoring discipleship process? Well, I think that there are a few things. This is not an exhausted list, but I think there are a few things I think that would ring true. Number one, I think that each generation will be valued and appreciated. Uh, it's not going to be siloed that it's just, that's just children or that's just youth or young adults or young marrieds or older folks. It's that, it's that there's appreciation across those. The older need the younger. The younger need the older. In fact, Psalm chapter 71 verse 18 says, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare, declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. The older we become, 
the greater responsibility we have to pour in to the next generation. So each generation is valued and appreciated. I think a church that really values the idea of mentoring and discipleship, another thing that's true, not just each generation is valued and appreciated, but everyone is involved in the Great Commission. Whether that's the sharing of faith and people coming to Jesus, the discipleship process. Here's another one. I think that uh, it keeps pastors and staff from being burned out. Uh, A lot of times we think, well, that's the pastoral role. That's the pastor's job. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 13, talks about some gifts, talks about some offices that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And the next verse, it tells why. It says, for the equipping of the saints. See, we a lot of times in our culture think the reason we have pastors is for them to do the work of the ministry. That's not what Ephesians 4 says at all. Those offices, those roles are given to equip you and equip me so that we do the work. They're the equippers of us. So it will keep our pastors, our staff fresh. Here's something else that I think it looks like when a church is involved in a mentoring discipleship process and it explains their church. Success is defined by the number of maturing believers, not just by nickels and noses. Now, don't think I'm coming down too hard on that. I think that having benchmarks and goals, those things are really, really good. But that's going to define our success. No, it's about mature followers of Jesus Christ. Last thing I just kind of wrote down that I thought this would be true of a church body where this is it's marked by people that are pouring in each other's lives, the older with the younger, the younger learning from the older. It would be this. We'll view people more graciously and more kindly. When I work with someone, I realize that they are in process. The Bible calls that sanctification, if you like theological terms. It's an important part. It's not just the justification of salvation, but it's the process of becoming more like Jesus. I remember being uh, fairly young, but in the 70s, I remember those kinds of buttons that people would wear. Anybody relate to any of those or remember people wearing those things? It was a little white pin that said P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Anybody remember those at all? I'm the only one. Okay. Okay, two of us. Great. That's wonderful. What does it stand for? Do you remember that? Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. They've done an updated uh, little pin here. So it looks a lot better, okay? So I just want to bring that to your attention. But I remember that because it is the sanctification process. I was, I'm on Facebook a lot because it's a way of communicating with next generation. It's a lot more easy for me to send messages. And um, as I'm doing that, I came across this one story that was posted. And a lot of my friends or people I know are saying, this is really cool. This is really neat. And uh, I don't know if you saw this or not. It was on this week's first time I saw it was this week. And it was this story that a college dropout spent five years of his life making this model out of just manila folders. Dropped out of school, and for five years, this is what he's been working on. Um, and everybody's going, wow, that is awesome. That's cool. That's really neat. And then, well, you can go to the next couple pictures and just see some of the scale of what he did. Maybe the next one. It's pretty impressive. Uh, each of those chairs would take 22 minutes for him to make. Uh, the emergency doors. There's a little toilet. Kind of fun. Uh, next slide. Next slide. You'll just see the scale of it. He spent five years working on this. I think there's one more picture that, that tells us a little bit more. But this is what I thought after I went, yeah, that's kind of neat. I, then I thought this. Really? Really? That's what he's done for five years. 
Francis Chan has said this phrase. It's not original with him, but I really like it. My greatest fear is not of failing, but of succeeding in something that really doesn't matter. See, there are only two things that last forever. It's the Word of God and its people. Mentoring allows us to put both of those together and to make a difference. If I use the verbiage of this church, find one, be one, you heard that before? Let me judge the value of how I've done with trying to communicate what I've studied. It's not that you know more about mentoring. It's not that you know more about uh, a farmer or an athlete or a soldier. Here's how I'm going to gauge it. It has to do with the obedience factor that I say, I'm willing to be a mentor or I want to be mentored. I'm not sure if you're used to doing this, taking a chance. I have no idea. One might raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you believe that the step that you need to take is that you either need to say, I am willing to mentor someone or I need mentoring, would you just raise your hand right now? Your pastoral staff, if you're going, how do we do that? Talk with them. We're not setting up another program. We're not doing it. But they can help you. And if you go, I need to know what that, they are here to help equip you. I believe that lives change when we have older people pouring into younger people and younger people learning from older people. Why does it matter? I believe it matters because I think there is probably another Dana here at Grace Church of Orange who needs you. Are you willing to make that investment? Let me pray. Father, we're grateful for your scripture, for your word. We have the example of Paul with Timothy and, and even pictures of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be mature. That picture of a soldier, the picture of a farmer, the picture of an athlete. Father, I pray that we would be people that would truly be ones who sh- sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron. Thank you, Father, for mature believers in this church. Thank you for newer believers in this church. And we would pray, God, that you would use us to make a difference in this world for Jesus. We'll pray it in his name. Amen.